Let's explore the five best startup tips from 281 books. Now, it's no secret that many startups fail. There are all kinds of things that can go wrong when you're bringing a new product or a new service to market. But fortunately, there are things that you can do to improve your odds for success. So today, we're gonna go through some of the best tips and advice from 281 books that I've read over the last 22 years as an entrepreneur. Now, of course, many of these books go well beyond the topic of just building a startup. So I do plan to follow this up with additional episodes covering my favorite tips on topics like marketing, business strategy, leadership, productivity, and other topics. In fact, I've already published an episode with my favorite marketing tips. So be sure to subscribe if you're interested in some of those other topics. But with that said, let's dive straight into it, beginning with tip number one the right way to get early feedback about your idea. One of the fastest ways to validate and improve your startup idea is by gathering feedback from early potential customers. Now, unfortunately, this can very often backfire because most people would rather be supportive and socially polite rather than blunt and honest. And as a result of this, it's very easy to misinterpret their feedback as being validation for your product or service because when they're being polite and simply being passively encouraging, you might Perceive that as being somehow an acknowledgement that you're on the right path. Now, the better approach, rather than setting people up for passive encouragement, is instead to talk about their lives within the context of what it is that you're hoping to bring to the market, as explained in The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick. This is a much more effective way to gather useful information and details about the lives of your potential customers to make sure that you're on the right path. So for example, let's say that you are building a guitar guitar lessons app to help people learn to play the guitar more effectively while they're out on the go. Well, instead of talking about your product and what it is that you plan to bring to the market and simply getting passive feedback, you might instead ask questions like, what has it been like learning to play the guitar? What kinds of lessons have you tried in the past? Did that approach work for you? What did you like best? What issues or challenges did you encounter? Ideally, you want to have a predefined list of questions that you can ask different types of potential customers. So, using the Guitar Lessons app as an example, well, you might encounter people that are either beginner students or seasoned pros, or maybe even people that are aspiring to play the guitar but haven't yet begun. And so you wanna have different questions for each one of these types of people so that when you run into them in the real world, at a moment's notice, you can quickly present relevant questions and get a better understanding of how they perceive the category and the topic that you're hoping to address with your product or service. So for example, if you were trying to speak with somebody that was aspiring to play the guitar, well, instead, you might ask questions like, what inspires you to want to play the guitar? What has kept you from learning to play the guitar? What kinds of lessons have you considered in the past? Now, as people begin to answer these questions, you wanna focus in on the concrete actions that they've either taken in the past or that they're currently taking, rather than future hypotheticals around what they may or may not do in the future. Generally speaking, it's not very reliable to ask people about what they intend to do in the future because people are overly optimistic around their future actions, whereas it's much, much more effective to focus on things they've already done 
or things that they are currently doing. That's a lot more predictive of what you can expect from customer behavior as it might relate to the solution that you're hoping to bring to the market. Now, if you're interested in learning a lot more about this approach, I highly recommend that you read The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick. It covers practical tips and advice for how to make the most of these early customer conversations. Let's continue on to tip number two. Focus on identifying and validating critical assumptions. Every new startup is built on a series of assumptions. Two of the most popular examples include the value assumption and the growth assumption. So with the value assumption, there's this underlying belief that whatever it is that you happen to be bringing to market is going to be valued by your target audience, that they're going to care enough to either buy or sign up for a service, or engage with your business in some meaningful way. Now, with the growth assumption, there is also this underlying belief that you're going to have some mechanism for attracting customers to your business in a profitable way. So maybe in the back of your mind, you're thinking word-of-mouth referral will help you attract customers, or maybe paid advertising, or maybe some other marketing channel. But on some level, you have this belief that you're going to have the ability to attract customers to your business and to attract them profitably and in enough numbers to turn your business into a sustainable business. Now, the key to really taking your startup idea and turning it into a sustainable business is to identify these kinds of make or break assumptions and convert them into testable hypotheses as explained in The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. A great example of this from the book is how Zappos began with the assumption that people would be willing to buy shoes online. That was the core assumption that they then converted into a testable hypothesis that if they were to create a very simple website where people could buy shoes online, that enough people would be interested in doing so and that they could attract them in a profitable way in order to move the business idea forward. So instead of focusing on back-end logistics and warehousing and inventory, they simply went to local shoe stores, they talked with the managers there, they asked for permission to take pictures of the inventory, and they told those managers, we're going to list these pictures on our website. If people buy the shoes, we will come back to your store and pay for them and pay full price so that we can buy these shoes and ship them to the customer. Now, of course, the goal here was not to turn an immediate profit. Instead, it was simply to validate the original hypothesis, to find out whether or not people would be willing to buy shoes online. Because if it turned out they weren't willing to buy shoes online, then it would be a huge waste to invest in inventory and logistics and complex e-commerce software when instead they could simply find out whether or not they're on the right path. And of course, in this case, they were on the right path so they could confidently invest further in moving their business idea forward. Now, for more information advice on this strategy, I recommend that you read The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. It covers many practical tips on how to turn a startup idea into a sustainable business. Let's continue on to tip number three. Spend at least half of your time on attracting customers. Most startups end in failure not because they don't have a product or service to sell, but rather because they aren't able to attract enough customers to make the business profitable. Now, one of the number one reasons why this happens is many startup founders focus all of their time and energy on product development at the expense of customer development. It's actually very common to find startup founders that are entirely focused on building a product or service, and only when it is 
finished or complete, do they start to think about who can we sell this to, how can we reach those customers, and other marketing-related questions like this. So they finish the product, and then they start thinking, how are we going to sell the product? Now, a much better approach is to split your time 50-50 between product development and customer development, as explained in Traction by Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Mares. This will, of course, slow down your product development speed, but as explained in the book, it will actually accelerate your ability to bring a product successfully to market. And that's because as you focus on things like customer development and gathering feedback and learning about what people value and what they don't value, you can actually improve your product much faster and make it more likely that it will be successful upon release. Now, if you're interested in learning more about attracting customers to your startup, I recommend that you read Traction by Gabriel Weinberg and Justin Mares. It covers practical advice on how to identify the best marketing opportunities for your particular startup. Let's continue on to tip number four. The original idea isn't the most important breakthrough. As entrepreneurs, we often put a lot of weight into the original idea behind a new product or a service. We experience this creative breakthrough where suddenly we realize what we want to build or how we can create value for customers. And as a result of this, it's very easy to fall into the trap of trying to execute on our idea perfectly because we believe that When we release something, it's this make or break moment where if we don't give our idea the absolute best chance for success, well, then we could simply fail just because we executed poorly on the release. However, this is not the make or break stage that many entrepreneurs believe it to be. As explained by Howard Love in his book, The Startup J-Curve, you should not expect customers to immediately flock to your new product or service. In fact, you should fully expect their reactions to be mixed at best. Because while it seems like the original idea is this great epiphany, there is so much more opportunity to learn in terms of how customers actually use your product or service. So the real breakthrough happens after you release your product or service to the market and you see how people react to it because this is an opportunity to gather much needed feedback, to get a better sense of what people do and do not value, and then to iterate and improve your product accordingly. So as explained by Howard Love, this is the moment at which typically the real epiphany happens. You see how your original idea meets the real world, you adjust your thinking and you come up with a much better solution. So if you're interested in learning more about this process, I highly recommend that you read The Startup J-Curve by Howard Love. It breaks down the six stages that every startup must go through in order to become a highly successful business. Let's continue on to tip number five. Don't aim to be better, aim to be different. A common startup mistake is setting out to create a better version of an existing product or service. So rather than creating something entirely new or rather than innovating in a dramatic way, this involves just making an iterative improvement over an existing product or service with the assumption that that will be enough to attract customers. And this typically involves additional features or increased convenience or perhaps a reduced price. Now on the surface, this might seem like a great opportunity. You're disrupting an existing brand, you're building a better mousetrap, so to speak, and potentially you might attract customers from that existing business. But unfortunately, this approach rarely results in a highly profitable business because more often than not, by engaging with an existing brand that is already well-established, you're far more likely to escalate competition, reduce profits, 
and create an unattractive business. So the lesson here is simple. If you wanna build a valuable business, don't focus on creating a better version of an existing solution, focus on being different. Focus on separating your business from competition, from what other people are doing, or if you are in a market that is highly competitive, focus on a strategy that differentiates you where they can't easily emulate what it is that you're doing. So a great example of this will be Apple and their approach when it comes to the iPhone. Their focus on privacy is in part because they know Google is focused on a business model around advertising. And so by focusing on privacy, Apple is able to differentiate themselves in a way that cannot easily be emulated by the competition. Google simply cannot give up their core business model to try to emulate what it is that Apple is doing. So in addition to providing value for customers by enhancing privacy, they're choosing a path that their competition cannot easily follow. So ideally, you wanna create a strategy where either you have no competition or one in which your strategy is designed to not easily be emulated by existing players in the market. And when it comes to really crafting an effective strategy for separating yourself from the competition, I highly recommend Blue Ocean Strategy by W. Chan Kim and Renee Maborn. And for tips and inspiration around creating a highly valuable business, I recommend that you read Zero to One by Peter Thiel. And when it comes to positioning your business to separate yourself from the competition and to really stand out in the minds of your target audience, I recommend that you read The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing by Al Reese and Jack Trout. Anyway, those are the five best startup tips from 281 books. If you're interested in marketing tips and advice, I've created another episode where I share my favorite marketing tips from the same 281 books, and I'll link that up for you down in the episode description box. But with that said, if you have any questions or comments about anything that we covered here, let me know down in the comment section, and be sure to subscribe and visit rickkettner.com com to learn more about startups, marketing, and even just entrepreneurship in general. 